Welcome to the No Fear podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Welcome to the No Fear podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church, and we want to thank you for joining us for our No Fear Word of the Day. Well, it is the last week of June, and while there are lots of great things going on, the church is open and running again, we're having live worship services, and we are considering how to bring back our small group fellowships and Christian education Sunday school programs, we all know that this is still a pretty tough season for us. In addition to recent episodes of civil unrest and important protests and messages that are being put out there, we're also experiencing here in San Antonio an upward spike in the number of coronavirus cases. That has caused a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, and they're trying to figure out how do we, how do we navigate what might be the beginning of a second wave in the pandemic. Now, I certainly don't want to add to that anxiety, and so rather, I wanted to come today and talk about one of the most important aspects of the Christian life, and that is the important quality of endurance. Right now, endurance is something that we need as we encourage one another, not only through this pandemic, but also as we encourage one another through the social movements that are taking place in our country right now. Several years ago, one of my good friends had a heart attack while he was out on a hike in the mountains of North Carolina. This was really surprising because this guy's only about four years older than I am. He has been a vegetarian for about 30 years. He hikes, he runs endurance races, he skis, he doesn't smoke. He's a devoted Christian, and he has a wonderful wife and family. And it was really surprising that this good friend of mine who was in such incredible shape, much better shape than I am, had a heart attack while doing something that he loved. Well, the good news is, is that the story turns out well. He's in great shape today, and he and I are still in close contact with one another. But it was an interesting thing to talk to him about his story. I was really curious to know how he, how he handled this experience. Well, Dan is a leader. He is a ministry leader. He is the director of the camp where I served as a counselor and on staff for years, where Bo has attended for many years. And he is one of those guys who can envision things and make them happen. If there's a problem, he's a problem solver. He is what he would describe as a fixer. We all know the kind of guys I'm talking about. They're the kind of guys who believe that if there's a problem, there's always something you can do to fix it. Unfortunately, Dan found out that there are some things that we just cannot fix, that we can't speed up. There are just some things that we have to learn to endure. Six weeks after his heart attack, Dan wanted to know, when can I go back to work? When can I go back to hiking and mountain biking? How long until my heart is back to normal? But his doctor said, you know what, Dan, those are the wrong questions to be asking. This is going to take a long time. But then Dan wanted to know, well, how long? One of the things I love about the Psalms 
is that sometimes the Psalms say what we need to say when we can't figure out how to say it. The Psalms say this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long is this pandemic going to last? How long is this economic downturn and this long season of joblessness and staying at home going to last? When are things going to get back to normal? How long is the civil unrest and the rioting in the streets and how long is that going to last? How long are we going to endure injustice in this country before we actually take the conversation seriously and do something about it? In the personal realm, we might wonder, how long is it going to take to hear back from that job interview? How long am I going to have to wait until I find out about my college application? How long is it going to take for the doctor to get me the results of those tests that I took while I worry and wait about my health and about how far this disease may have progressed? How long am I going to have to put up with this abuse? Or how long is it going to take me to get clean so I can take care of my family? How long is my brother or my sister or my wife or my husband or my mother or my father or friend going to have to suffer before you call him home? How long? I bet that's a question that Noah asked. Over the course of this pandemic season, I have really gotten interested in the story of Noah, especially when it comes to the topic of endurance. Most people know the story of Noah. But in many ways, it's become a cliché. In our haste to make the story of Noah's Ark a children's story, we've often stripped it of much of the reality to which it speaks. We know this story so well. But today, we're going to pay special attention to an element of the story that we don't know so well. And that is the element of Noah's endurance. Because Noah's story is one of the great endurance stories of the Bible. The story of Noah's Ark begins in Genesis chapter 6. By Genesis chapter 6, man has slumped a long way from the sinless paradise of the Garden of Eden. Within just a few centuries of Adam and Eve's expulsion from the Garden and Cain's murder of Abel, the world had become a terrible place. The Bible says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The Bible says, The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Just consider that description for a second. The wickedness of humanity was so great that the Bible says that every intention, every thought, every feeling in his heart was only evil all the time. It was actually so bad that God regretted creating mankind at all. The world had become a place of brutality, of violence, and debauchery. How bad was it? Imagine the terror of living as a Jew in Nazi Germany during the Holocaust. Your friends and family herded like cattle into railroad cars to be shipped to slavery or extermination camps, to die of malnutrition, disease, or in the gas chamber. 
Or imagine the horror of living as a Christian in an ISIS-controlled Iraq or Syria or living in North Korea, fearful of the party's politics that might one day land you in prison, fearful every day that you will be beheaded or your wife raped or your children sold as sex slaves. How bad would things on earth have to get before a just and holy God, before a loving and merciful Creator, would decide to wash humanity from the face of the earth? How much murder How many beheadings, how much rape, how much oppression would it take to make God say, enough is enough? Whatever that threshold is, it would have to be worse than the Holocaust, or worse than the killing fields in Cambodia, or the American slave trade, worse than Stalinist Russia. Because whatever was happening at that point pushed God to do something that he had never done before and has not done since. It was so bad that even angels were becoming corrupted, running loose on the earth and ravishing humanity. Chapter 6, verse 2 says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. How bad would it have to get? It was so bad that God said, enough is enough. Look at verse 3. So the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Now, while there are different interpretations of what this means, the majority opinion of Bible scholars on this is that God is saying, In 120 years, I am going to wipe them out. Hebrew and Christian tradition holds that this is also the time that God told Noah his plans and commanded Noah to build the ark. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So tradition holds that God told Noah what he was going to do 120 years before the flood, and that this is how long Noah had to build the ark. Now, to my knowledge, There is no significance to the number 120, except that it represents a really long time. The ark was not built overnight. Imagine that Noah finished the ark today. That means that he would have started sometime around 1901. That is a long time. I mean, think about it. What was happening 120 years ago? But God also told Noah that he and his family would be saved. God said that he would save Noah, not only from the flood, but from the culture, the civilization, the society, the generation that brought on this calamity. He said, everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. That's great news for Noah and his family. But we need to think about something. God said he would save him, but it was going to take a long time. It would be over a century of hard work building the ark, of enduring the horrors of the world surrounded by death, surrounded by pain and misery, knowing that everyone you know, wicked as they were, would die. And on top of that, by the time God called Noah, God's mind was made up. In other words, God was saying, Noah, You are not in control. There is nothing you can do about this. 
You cannot stop this. You cannot speed it up or slow it down. You are going to be shut up with a bunch of animals in a huge wooden box with no engine, no sail, no rudder, no steering wheel, and nowhere to go because there is nowhere to go. But listen also to what God is saying. God is saying, Noah, I will make you this promise. I am going to save you, but it's going to take a long time and you're going to have to trust me. I'm making this covenant with you. I'm making you a promise. And that is going to have to be enough. Now, I think if I was Noah, I might have been asking a few questions. I might have been thinking, Lord, the world is a terrible place now. Why does this have to take so long? Do we have to build an ark? Can't you just wave your hand and make everything the way you want it to be? Or can't you build an ark or get a crew of angels to do it? Can't we speed this thing up? I'm sure I would have worked furiously for the first few months and maybe even for the first few years. But after about 50 years of building, I would start wondering, is God really going to do this? Is he really going to cleanse the world? Or has he gotten busy with something else? A lot of people would say that the distinguishing mark of Noah's faith was that he followed this seemingly crazy command to build a boat in a land without a sea to survive a flood in a world without rain. But I think that what distinguishes Noah's faith, what makes it special, is not his acceptance of God's commands, but his endurance in waiting for God to fulfill his promises. It was not just his willingness and his courage to trust God when everybody else thought he was crazy. It was also his patience in trusting God to see it through. How long are you willing to wait for God to fix things? How long are you willing to trust God based on his promises? How long are you willing to trust God in this season of pandemic? How long are you willing to wait for a cure or economic recovery? How long are you willing to wait for God to bring about justice as he retools our society and makes us consider both the sins of our past as well as our hopes for the future? How many months of quarantine or unemployment are you willing to endure before you start wondering if God is really in control? How many rounds of chemotherapy or radiation are you going to put up with before you start to wonder if God really cares? How long are you willing to endure disease, conflict, betrayal, violence, poverty, or addiction? How long will my heart feel like it's being ripped out of my body and trampled on? How long, O Lord? Here is the truth. God is not always fast, but he is always faithful. The great 19th century English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon phrased it so beautifully. He said, When you cannot trace God's hand, you can always trust his heart. If we ask why God makes us endure so much in waiting for his promises, we might consider that God is using this time as a time to build. Not to build an ark, but to build disciples. We are vessels carrying God's promises in a brutal world. And just as he gave Noah time to build the ark, maybe he is giving you time to finish something. He's giving you time to complete the work that he has set you to do. He is not being slow. He is teaching you to trust him through endurance. 
At this point, we need to make an important distinction about suffering in the Christian life. Sometimes we're called to endure suffering for Christ's name, and sometimes we are called to endure suffering in Christ's name. So what's the difference between the two? What distinguishes one from the other? Suffering for Christ's name is the kind of suffering that comes through martyrdom and persecution. This is what Christians in Iran and China and North Korea and India and Africa are enduring right now when they are told to renounce Christ and convert to some other religion like Islam or suffer slavery or rape or death. In suffering for Christ's name, they are enduring crises brought on simply by the fact that they are loyal to Christ and consider his glory and mission more important than their own health, wealth, comfort, freedom, or survival, even to the point of death. There are other times when the people of God are called to endure suffering in Christ's name. Suffering in Christ's name means that whatever suffering we endure, we will endure in a way that gives him all glory, credit, and attention. So if you are enduring chemotherapy, or you are trusting in God to help you find a job, or rebuild after a hurricane or some other natural disaster, your endurance becomes a testimony telling people that we know that God is in control, that he has not abandoned us, and we are going to trust in his promises. Suffering in Christ's name says, I still trust God, even when everybody else thinks that we're crazy to do so. At the end of the story, after the flood waters had subsided, God came together with Noah and his family, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God promised Noah life, and after the flood, God delivered life and much more. But it would be a mistake to believe that God only showed up at the end of the story. He was with Noah the whole time. Whatever we're having to endure, either for his name or in his name, God does not just show up at the end. He is with us the whole time. We're always asking, how long are we going to have to endure? Maybe what we should be asking is, how is God using this time to train us and shape us for something bigger, something deeper, something more permanent? One of my favorite passages of courage and endurance comes from the fifth chapter of the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There are lots of things that we would like to fix in our world right now. And until those things are fixed, we are going to be asking, how long, O oh Lord, how long? 
But maybe we could add some other questions to the mix as well. Instead of just asking, how long, O Lord, is this going to last? We could ask, how are you building us as arcs, as vessels of your grace in a turbulent world? Rather than just focus on our trials, we can start asking that our longings be transformed, especially our longing for a deeper intimacy with our Savior. We can pray that we would grow in Christ-likeness and that we would see others find their ultimate needs met in Him. What made Noah's faith so great is that all that he had to go on was God's promise, and that was enough. He waited a long time to see God's promises fulfilled, but in the end, he learned that even though God is not always fast, he is always faithful. Thank you for being with us again for this No Fear podcast. Please join us for this and our other daily podcasts throughout the COVID-19 crisis at fpcsanantonio.org. Until next time, I'm Bob Fuller of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas. Be not afraid. God is real. Jesus is alive and the Holy Spirit is with us. God loves you. He has a plan and purpose for your life. He has a position for you on his team and a place for you at his table.